Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. You're listening to the Irish Times Inside Politics podcast. It's Wednesday, March the 29th, and you're very welcome to this, the latest installment of the weekly politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan, joining me in studio today, Sarah Barden and Fia Kelly from our political staff, and also the Fianna Fáil spokesperson for justice, Jim O'Callaghan. You're all very welcome. The, uh, the lead story in today's Irish Times is Ministers Believe Public Trust in Garda is Shattered, which is co-written by you, Fia. It's a real, it's another case of Laurel and Hardy, another fine mess you've got me into in terms of what the government's thinking about the Gardaí again this week, isn't it? Yeah, but I think the difference with this week is that um, perhaps patience has finally run out with uh, Garda Commissioner Noreen O'Sullivan and other people at the senior ranks of the force. Uh, there was a wide view with Cabinet, although it wasn't really fully expressed because of, for fear of the consequences of one of them saying we don't have confidence in her, that perhaps it, it may be time for Noreen O'Sullivan to step aside herself, although ministers are reluctant to take that matter into their own hands and use the powers available to her, her to dismiss the dismiss Norn O'Sullivan. But, um, but let's just briefly just take a moment to step back on the assumption, I think, unlikely that some of our listeners don't know what's what, what, what's actually been happening. I mean, not only are we, you know, are we getting into the process of the of the Charlton inquiry, which is going to take place over the over the next few months, but simultaneously this new extraordinary, really, scandal, uh, sort of two pronged scandal. One about uh, one about um, summonses issued issued to drivers and them being, I suppose doubly penalised in some cases because they were they were brought to court whereas they might never have received uh, the initial communication. And the other one which seems even more serious, which really looks like a widespread endemic culture of fraud in relation to breathalysers uh, and the number of breathalyzer tests which have taken place in the country over the last several years. And further to that, a very slow reaction which could in some quarters be characterised as a cover-up when that began to emerge almost three years ago now. Yeah, the, the the more serious issue, as you say, I think, is the inflation of breath testing figures over a period of years from what were, there's basically a million breath tests recorded in the Garda system that didn't actually happen. The guards themselves say they were aware of this or were notified of it in 2014 by way of an anonymous letter, which went to the Road Safety Authority, then went to the then Minister Leo Vraker and then on to the guards themselves. But they only disclosed last week publicly for the first time the scale as they knew it of the problem. They had notified the Minister for Justice last year about some discrepancies in the breath testing system, which they focused on the southern region of the guards, which showed a 17% discrepancy in the records down there. Um, despite reportage by ourselves uh, in this newspaper and other organisations, they didn't really come clean until last week. And they also didn't keep the policing authority fully in the loop as well. So I think... The and they only came clean after the Irish Times and other media organisations broke the story. They yes. kept it under wraps and they didn't inform the policing authority as they are required to do. Yes, and, and, and further to that, there's also uh, the, the Bureau of, uh, of Medical Road Safety, I think, uh, saying that they were aware of the problem because of the stocks of breath testing kits that the guards had just were totally out of line with the records they were producing and they had notified the guards... Uh, 
orally in a couple of meetings as well as in writing on a couple of occasions. So there were warning lights going off around the security apparatus, but the guards didn't disclose it fully until last week. I think what's more disturbing, though, is that when um, the guards first became aware of this, they conducted an internal investigation and reported back to the then minister, to the minister for justice, Francis Fitzgerald, that there was there wasn't a problem there was nothing here. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. And it was only in June 2016 that then that they launched their internal probe. And as we know, the, the details have come out since. Um, but the fact is, is that they were aware of it in some quarters in Garda Shia Khanna in 2014. And um, whether that. Uh, whether that knowledge was available to Noreen O'Sullivan really is the crucial question. And her performance tomorrow at the Oireachtas Committee on Justice will really be the uh, the key to whether she retains her position as Garda Commissioner or whether uh, Fianna Fáil or, and the government will uh, lose lose confidence in her. Indeed, Jim, and the focus, of course, is, as Sarah says, on, on Noreen O'Sullivan. But, I mean, it's much more broad than that, isn't it? There's a... There's a, a, it appears to be a culture in the Gardaí which means that the political establishment, the government, uh, we see in today's newspaper here, there are senior politicians in the government telling Fiac and his colleagues that they, they really have lost all confidence, not just in in, uh, in the commissioner, but in, 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 in the Garda as a whole. Where the hell do we go from here? Yeah, it's a very serious uh, state of affairs that exists at present. Um, the events of the past uh, week have really undermined public confidence in the Garda Sheikhana. I think it's extremely important that the public can have confidence in its police force. And if people don't have confidence, it has severe repercussions for the whole state. Like, on, on, People can criticise politicians, but if you look what politicians have done in the past 12 years since the Garda Shikana Act 2005, you know, GSOC has been established, the Garda Inspectorate has been established, the Policing Authority has been established, there's been a series of inquiries uh, and commissions of investigation in respect of Garda Shikana, but there still appears to be these ongoing issues. And like part of the problem, I think, is, uh, and this doesn't rest with any one individual, but there seems to be a problem in Garda Shikana taking the role that other statutory bodies have seriously. They don't seem to recognise the importance and the seriousness of the role that, say, GSOC has, or even yesterday we know that they don't seem to be taking the statutory role that the policing authority has seriously. So there needs to be a change of mindset in the Garda Shikana that they recognise that they're not sole operators out there who are able to do things without intervention by any other state entities. So what you're saying is the Garda Shia Khanna enforced with uh, uh, the, who, who enforce the law of the land are a rogue organisation. I'm not saying that. Well, that's sort of what you're describing there. No. That they don't recognise their statutory obligations to a range of bodies which have been put in yeah. place by, by successive governments over the last 10 years. I wouldn't go so far as to say and Garda Shia Khanna is a, a rogue body or engaged in a rogue operation. There's many fine members of the force who are out there. But what is clear, and it's at the higher levels of the force, that when it comes to the roles that other, other statutory bodies have, they, for some reason, don't seem to take the functions those statutory bodies have seriously. And that's what's apparent here. And even if you look at when we get commissions of investigation and you get reports into Angarda Shikana, we need to have them implemented. And we need the Gardaí to recognise that there's other entities that they have to respect the role that they play. They don't have a, they don't have a free card when it comes to the uh, investigation uh, in respect to the criminal justice system. I think Jim is right and there is an issue like he has touched upon the very various other bodies that have a stake in this game like the policing authority. But on the other hand, how many reports from the Garda inspectors have we seen in recent years calling for significant reform of the guards? Have they been acted upon? Have the guards given them the due consideration they deserved given the seriousness of the situations they were dealing Dealing with, I think the main fear uh, amongst the ministers and the cabinet and 
possibly shared amongst Jim and other opposition politicians as well, is that the guards do not recognise the scale of the crisis they now face, that they perhaps at a senior level view this as we've been here before, we know this way, this is, way, this is the way it's going to work its way out, let's just see ourselves through this. But there is fear that they do not realise how serious this issue is and how public confidence in them has plummeted. Like even if you talk to backbench TDs, they say this is coming up at meetings in constituencies. I was talking to a rural Fianna Fáil TD, a colleague of Jim's, who said he was at a meeting in his constituency the other evening, nothing to do with this, and people were asking, what's going on with the guards? Can you not just get rid of it? Is, is part brass? of the problem then, Fick, that if the Gardaí or senior Gardaí feel that they don't need to take those those bodies seriously, that's a reflection of the fact that those bodies were set up without sufficient teeth yeah. in order to in order to deal with that. And that is the one question about this emerging patent style uh, inquiry or commission or whatever it's going to be, that is it going to be given powers, adequate powers to reform the Guardian in a substantial way? Like, is it going to be able to look at stuff like work practices? Is it going to be able to stray into the area of industrial relations, like the GRA, the AGSI? They're very powerful organisations within the Guards. All that needs to be tackled. If There's a focus really on the culture of Temple Moor yes. and the, the whole entrance system and the, the way in which people are inducted into the Guardian and trained. I think it's important, though, to go back to just, I suppose, the crucial point at this million, sorry, exaggeration of breathalyzer figures. Uh, from my knowledge, the way that breath, uh, the breathalyzer tests are done is, is quite important to this whole sequence of events. So you're pulled over the side of the road, um, a fresh uh, tube is used to take your test and that is sent back to, to Garda Shia for tests and then the Garda analyst puts that information onto the system. Um, now, what we've seen is that there, there, there was a million exaggerations, so a million breath tubes were unavailable. The evidence just wasn't simply there. But the data analyst within Angarda Shia was reporting back on a monthly basis to the head of the Garda uh, force, the commissioner and other assistant commissioners on a monthly basis with these figures. Um, and I just can't understand how nobody at those meetings, you know, questioned the figures that were possibly um, exaggerated and were, pro- were possibly way too high to, to in any way be accurate or in any way be true. Um, so I suppose it doesn't, it's not... Well, the only way to understand it is that there was a culture of culture of deception there. Exactly, and that's that's the crucial point of this whole thing. Is And I know I know it's made by um, one of our colleagues in The Independent today, uh, Shane Coleman, who says that the removal of Gar- the Garda Commissioner, Noreen Sullivan, won't get to the won't get to the problem, uh, root of the problem here. This is a cultural mm. issue within on Garda Shiaqana. Um, and in a sense, they almost believed that they were untouchable. This has been going on since 2011, and we're now in 2016. Five years of over-exaggerated figures, um, and it really has only come to the fore in the last number uh, uh, last number of days. Um, although some of our colleagues have been reporting it on it since February, they really thought that they, I suppose, could get could get away with this, and um, it shows that I suppose there is a culture in Angarda Shikhan. And it does raise a question, and this was hinted at by Noreen O'Sullivan in our press conference the other day, Jim, that. This has come to light because there was strict data available because these pieces of equipment are being used in every case that a test was due to be made. There's an implication that if they felt they'd get away, get away with this, they were looking to get away with other things. And of course, there have been problems about lack of correlation between CSO statistics about crime and the, and the numbers provided by the Gardaí as well, aren't yeah, there? I have my doubts as to whether this uh, would have come out if the Gardaí had full control over it. We know that the Medical Bureau of Road Safety was in touch with the Gardaí in July 2014. We know that the Gardaí commenced their own audit in the southern region in 2015. We know that there was then a full review throughout the country in 2016. We know they changed their IT system in November 2016 so that the 
problem no longer would occur, and the problem seems to have been solved. So the extraordinary thing is that they, if they were able to identify the solution to the problem, you'd think they'd be able to identify the cause of the problem. And what has really damaged confidence in the force is the fact that nobody within the force has been able to come out and give even a general explanation as to what they think was the reason for the 937,000 falsely recorded breath tests. You're probably right. It probably was guards trying to up numbers. Maybe it's relevant for the purpose of them trying to get promotions. Maybe one a guard in a certain area can say, look at the number of breath tests I did. That shows I have a very vigorous area that I have under my control. Maybe that's the explanation. And when you look at what the commissioner said on Saturday, she says, you know, it's about ethics. It's about supervision. It's about trust. You know, she's she's hedging around the area. She needs to come out explicitly and say, listen, the likely explanation for this is that people were exaggerating, that guards were inflating figures to give a different impression as to the amount of work they were doing. Like, but doesn't we the may scale of it, Jim, say, show that it was a cultural issue, I suppose? Which Absolutely, because if you look at it, uh, it was identified in the southern region in 2015. Then they conducted a full review throughout the country and it confirmed what they discovered in the earlier uh, audit. And then they've changed the IT system and the pulse system. And the fact that it was being input into the pulse system and it's consistent throughout the country. It, it was obviously it's, it's, part it's, of the accepted culture within the Garda Sheikhana. Jason, double the well, number well, of yeah. Just, just to tease them. out, what, what does that mean, a cultural issue? Sometimes we hear about systemic issues when we talk about these kind of problems. The, like a cultural issue, to me, could also be described as a as a ethical issue or even possibly did, a criminal issue. Did, did Commissioner herself use the, the phrase ethics and ethical, as Jim says, in her statement on... Saturday. So she seems to be indicating as well that she perhaps has a suspicion that there is a, perhaps a practice in stations around the country or districts that, you know, maybe you did a couple of road tests tonight, up the figures when you come back to the station, you input the data. Perhaps that's what she's getting at. But I think she perhaps needs to be a lot more frank than she has been heretofore. She has had a statement at the weekend. She's had a press conference on Monday. She was on the 6-1 News on Monday. And still there are questions hanging over this issue. She's due before the Iraq Justice, Justice Committee tomorrow. You expect her to be full and frank. But even the language she has been using, for example, that statement uh, that Jim has referenced again on Saturday, there's a kicker in the end of it where she said, many more details will emerge. I anticipate many more details will emerge. So immediately everybody started asking, what is she talking about? That was a dominant issue at the Cabinet meeting yesterday where Francis Fitzgerald was asked over and over again, is there more to come out? And Francis Fitzgerald had to say, look, I asked the commissioner. She said she didn't have any proof of anything. She was just saying that this is a possibility. She needs to be a lot tighter in her language in one way and a lot more forthcoming in another. There is no there is no way that she or her senior officers don't have a broad idea of what was going on here. And they perhaps will have to give an indication at the committee tomorrow if they are to get out the gap on this. Now, at her press conference on Monday, Sarah, Noreen O'Sullivan presented herself as an agent of change and basically said that she was the person who need, that, that the job that she was doing right now in there was addressing these kinds of cultural problems and fixing them. But that's starting to wear a bit thin, isn't it, given what we know about the way that this particular story played out? Yeah, in, in fairness to Noreen O'Sullivan, I suppose, the results of these audits and indeed the release of the report on Temple Moor uh, that will be released later on this afternoon would never have been released under the former commissioner. She has been a lot more transparent than her predecessor, but I suppose in the era in which we now operate and the huge suspicion and um, I suppose lack of trust within Angarda Shia Khan, people are requiring and desiring more. I think the difficulty for Noreen O'Sullivan in offering an explanation as fake has um, has outlined is that perhaps it is a lot more widespread than uh, one had anticipated. It's I suppose she can't go into the Oireachtas Committee tomorrow and admit that there has been a, a 
I suppose, a decision within Angarda Shiakana or a practice accepted within Angarda Shiakana to inflate figures because that is effectively signing her own death warrant. Um, and I but think how can she deny it? Uh, she, I mean, the evidence, the, what, you know, the empirical say, evidence is there. I would there. imagine is, is what she will say tomorrow is that the uh, Assistant Commissioner, Michael O'Sullivan, has been tasked to do this report with a um, with an early result being sent to the police, author- police and authority within one month. I suppose when the facts are written down um, on paper, then it's a lot more easier for her to admit. But as of now, if she goes in and admits that she was aware of this um, or that she has now become aware of this cultural endemic uh, situation within Angarda Shiakona then effectively she's really but right now her own resignation she's, letter. she's concerned that she may have to take disciplinary action against some people in, in the force in the coming months when the facts are established and that's staying her hand and saying what she believes actually happened. But we do have an, a report that was done into the southern region. They surely have an idea of what went wrong down there, why there's a 17% discrepancy. So that perhaps there is some indication but maybe she is restricted in what she can say for but regardless of that, Jim, one way or the other, whether she was aware of the full picture of what was going on or whether she was unaware of the full picture that was going on, in either case, um, people are justified when they say they shouldn't, they don't, they don't, including your own party, no. to say they don't have confidence in her as commissioner. Yeah, like when you look at the dates for the breath test issue, like they date back to July 2014 when the Medical Bureau contacts the guards, 2015, 2016, that's the time when the commissioner was in office. So you talk about is she an agent to change or is she part of the problem? She could be both, but certainly she has a problem with respect to the fact that throughout her tenure as a guard commissioner, there was information made available to Angarda Shikona about the extent of this problem. And it only really came out, I suspect, because of an article in the Irish Times which indicated that there was an awareness about this. And then promptly after that, uh, further up-to-date figures are sought from the Medical Bureau. And then we get the Garda press statement of last Thursday. What's the role of the Oireachtas in relation to uh, the position of the commissioner in a situation such as this? Well, I think we need to be extremely careful about uh, politicians getting involved in operational matters concerning Angarda Shikona. And a lot of the times as a politician, people contact me and complain about issues that they regard as being crimes and what can a politician do about it? Can you raise it in the doll? I think we have to be really careful about politicians recognising there's a barrier between them and the Gardaí when it comes to the investigation of crime and operational matters. However, Gardaí or the politicians are responsible for setting out the legislative framework in terms of how the Gardaí should operate. We've put in all these statutory bodies. When it comes to the removal of a commissioner, and you know, people seem to concentrate a lot on this issue, the power to remove a commissioner is not vested in the Oireachtas. It's vested in the government. The government have that power and they can only remove a commissioner under three specified grounds. If they intend to do that, the commissioner is suspended and then the commissioner must be given written reasons as to why the government is proposing her or his removal and then they have an opportunity to reply. So like, we've got to be careful in the Oireachtas. The Oireachtas doesn't have a role in the removal of a commissioner. However, the Oireachtas is perfectly entitled to express its concern about these issues and its lack of confidence in individuals who have senior positions within the Guardi. There is a sense across the body politic from government to opposition that they would all like to see Noreen O'Sullivan stand aside of her own volition for the good of the guards. But I don't think that's going to happen because it's not in her character, I, I would I would anticipate. And she would perhaps want to see someone take definitive action, like if the government want to get rid of her, then they can invoke the powers, as Jim says they have. But I just wonder if Jim would agree that that is something. Would it be a good idea were she to step down for the good? of the guards? Well, the guards are 
been very damaged at present. We said that we cannot express confidence uh, in the commissioner at present. Michal said at the weekend that, you know, she should stand aside. He believes, you know, and we believe that it probably would be in the best interests of Ungarda Siakona. But like, we get obsessed about individuals and personalising the issue. The problems that the Gardaí face are going to be still there uh, after there's a replacement of commissioner. So we need to have a plan before we start making immediate decisions as to what needs to be done. You need to have a plan as to how are we going to change the culture and practices of Angarda Siakana. And I think the policing authority has a very important role to play in this. Of all the statutory bodies, I think it has the most um, prospect for affecting real change in the Gardaí particularly when it comes to the whole area of promotion. And I think promotion within Garda Siakana is a real area where you get a lot of the genesis of the problems. What about the proposal or the suggestion of a patent-style commission as, as, yeah, as existed think, in Northern Ireland? In, I think in the long term, uh, as a, as a medium-term solution, that is a good idea just to look to see what can be done to improve policing in the country. We've had a lot of reports before, however, but like, there was a commission in nursing in 1999 uh, it set out a, a new path for nursing. Like being a, a guard is a very specialised job, you know. And unlike many of our careers, we can all make mistakes in our careers. They don't have huge consequences sometimes. But for a guard to make a mistake can have extraordinary consequences. It can, it can result in sort of, you know, people losing their lives, uh, miscarriages of justice. So it just needs to be recognised it is an extremely important uh, professional job and maybe we need to improve the training. Maybe we need to give an opportunity to people to come in at different levels as well. Mm. The only way you get into the guards is through Templemore. And, you know, I'm not talking about sort of an officer class, but I do think people should be given the opportunity. Like there are people in their early 30s who would think, actually, I'd love to be a guard now because it's something you don't think about when you're 18 that's, or 19. I can't think of any other organisation that doesn't have some form but of graduate recruitment that, programme. That's, in that's it, true. Example, and that, that's know? why yeah. this patent, emerging patent-style inquiry needs to look at stuff like work practices, needs to take on, not take on is the wrong term, the, needs to discuss with the GRA, the AGSI, because it's those organisations that have proved resistance in the past to the type of issue Jim is talking about, getting a cadet scheme into the guards where if someone's an expert in forensic investigations, they could come in in their 30s at a certain level. At the moment, you have to go through Templemore. It's done in the army. There's no reason why it should be done in the guards. So that's why this inquiry needs to be given broad powers and what it says must be enacted when it can finish its conclusions. I suppose, they, well, Josephine Fahili has said previously that she would be in favour of uh, such a system being operated within a guard Shiakona. As Jim has rightly said, there are people uh, who have, you know, gone to college and done specific degrees that could assist on Garda Shiakona, but they all are sent back to Templemore to start their career, whereas they could have, you know, expertise in forensics or um, or other other areas that could be hugely beneficial to Garda Shiakona. Not exactly rocket sciences. Most police forces in the Western world have systems guards, of that sort, the don't they? Are one of the few that don't. Yeah, well, look, I think we have to be careful. It's not as though every guard who comes in, you know, we need a new type coming in. But the advantage of allowing people in at different entry points is it can change the culture. Like if everyone in the Irish Times has to come in through being interviewed by one or two people, comes in at the same age, we'd ha- have a very monolithic organisation here that only express So like it is to the advantage of any large institution for there mm. to be different points of sure. entry. And, and the promotion issue is a big issue in terms of how people get up. Because if you look at the numbers in the guards, there's about 12,000. 10,000 are ordinary guardies. So the vast majority of people don't get promoted. Mm. Okay? And you could be looking, and a lot of them must be very talented people. 
And a lot of them must be looking to see, how did that guy get up or that woman get up to be a superintendent or chief superintendent? And a lot of that process of promotion, from my understanding of it, is a lot of them hang around together. You get into the station, you get to know people, and groups can get up together. And I just think the policing authority has a good role to play in that it, from now on, will select and appoint and promote people. We do have to be careful, though, about launching another inquiry into Angarashi Akana. I mean, we've had so many inquiries in this country, and effectively, that's really just a kick to touch as to what the problems are. The problems exist within Angarashi Akana now, and the policing authority, while it's new in, in stature, is doing a very good job. Um, Robert Olson and the Garden Inspectorate has done a number of really important reports that have been effectively ignored um, by the Minister for Justice and uh, indeed the Oireachtas. He's made a number of uh, really really important recommendations that have just sort of been long fingered really. So there is a concern, I suppose, that if you launch a new inquiry within into Angarda Shiakana, that effectively you're just delaying the inevitable really and delaying the... Uh, well, the and, and in relation to, to, to that point, what responsibility does the Minister for Justice bear for, all, bear for this? In terms of the the, the issue at mm. hand, well, Frances Fitzgerald, I found it quite extraordinary yesterday when in the doll to say that she only became aware of the inflated figures at the press conference the same time that the media became aware of it. I, I find that frankly, um, I find that frankly surprising because. Um, she was written to in June 2016 um, to say that there was an audit underway. Her department was written to on March the 10th um, to, to give a broad overview as to uh, the scale of the problem. And I think it's quite surprising that uh, on the 22nd of March, when the press conference um, was held, that that is the, the first time that she became aware of the scale of this problem. Because I suppose if I was to get a letter or if, my, or if the Irish Times was to get a letter uh, similar to the Department of Justice thing, the first thing we would have done is, did is to start asking questions. I mean, she has, uh, a, you know, a direct line to the Garda Commissioner. I think it's quite surprising that she wouldn't have picked up the phone and made a, a made a, a call to the Garda Commissioner and asked questions as to the reality of this. Not the problem. first time there's been a failure of communication between the Garda and the Department of Justice, is it? No, and it's it's also not the first time that there's been a failure of communication with regards to the Minister for Justice. I mean, we saw with the uh, disclosure uh, of the the. Morris McCabe situation that she said the first she became aware of the Tusa file on Sergeant Morris McCabe was when it was aired in primetime and I think that that shows that 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 obviously raises questions about Frances Fitzgerald if the first time she's became, becoming aware of the problems of this magnitude is when they're aired on a primetime programme or when, they, or when the press uh, a press conference is held by Angarda Shia to inform them of the scale of this of this debacle. How do we get Jim out of the particular conundrum we're in at the moment, whatever about moving on to a you know broader broader reform proposal. Well, we need answers, and we called last Thursday evening after the press statement for answers as to how it is there's 937,000 false breath tests, how it is that 14,700 prosecutions were wrongfully obtained. We need answers to that. And still, nearly a week later, we don't have answers. So hopefully... And do you think we should be able to... There's no. Do you think there's no reason not to get those answers straight away? Course, I mean, or do you think we need to wait for a month or six weeks like the, or The Guardian have be. to inquire into this. Like, they're not inquiring into some third entity or third body about which they know nothing. It's it's within their force. They've been auditing the thing since 2015. It was brought to their attention in 2014. Just give us an explanation as to what is the reason for the inflated figures. We're not going to say that every single one of them, every single one of the 937,000. Give us the dominant reason. Give us the express reason. Give us it's likely because people were inflating figures. It was unethical. It was dishonest. They were doing it because uh, they wanted to improve their statistics. That Give us that. You know, we don't need to have it absolutely formally proved. People within the force will know what's going on, you know. Is there so any that explanation that Noreen can give uh, tomorrow, Jim, that would revive your confidence in her? 
Um, well, if we get an explanation, like what we wanted is we wanted an answers and accountability. So if we get answers, it would assist us in, uh, in, in trying to revive confidence. However, then comes to accountability and in respect of breath tests, she was the commissioner uh, throughout the time all of these issues uh, went on. So, like, she must have been aware, and if she wasn't aware, she should have been aware. But isn't it the case, Jim, that your party's been steadily moving towards a position of de- ever-decreasing confidence in Noreen O'Sullivan, and we're probably going to get to an end point where you would like to see her leave the office of commissioner no matter what she says? Well, I think it's fair to say that we have uh, not been able to express confidence in her since last Thursday. And then we got this statement on Saturday. We could not express confidence in her after that. Previous to that, during the McCabe controversy, your leader said that it was up to her to consider her own position, which is a change in saying we have absolute confidence in her, which is what you said before. So it seems as if Fianna Fáil is steadily moving down the road to seeking Noreen O'Sullivan's removal from office. Yeah, but I think like the McCabe issue is a separate issue from this and people may think it's as important. But it culminates or, in it. But it, it's different. But like this is something which happened on her watch and in respect of which she's obliged to give the public answers. It's a separate issue. The McCabe thing is she said one thing, he said the other. Let's try and adjudicate on it. You're right in terms of what you said. And Michal did say she should assess her position in respect of the uh, McCabe issue. I suppose that was because we can see the difficulties that can arise when a senior office holder is before a tribunal and it can have an impact upon the uh, office that they hold. But like here, this is a separate issue aside of McCabe. It's not those, you know, we are using this because ah, we want to get rid of it. There are serious issues here that need to be answered and she has to answer them. Can I just ask you, just a bit, we focused very much on the breath test, but the, the issue of the fixed penalties and them ending up in court and supposedly having been issued, not being issued. I mean, you, you've worked and continue to work in the courts on a, on a day-to-day basis. It puts the whole process into terrible disrepute as well, doesn't it? Well, it does. What it does is it contaminates the criminal justice system. So you've had an issue where the, the Guardi have been contaminated issues in respect of the prosecutions of fixed charge fines, and they've contaminated the district court system. There's a huge number of prosecutors, 14,700 wrongful convictions that have been obtained. The minister was aware of them from last uh, June or July. Yes, she was aware of the fact of them. She says she wasn't aware of the scale of them. What are we going to do in respect of these wrongful convictions? The state hasn't come out and indicated what it proposes to do. What do we need to do? You need to get the state to go in and seek a judicial review to quash the 14,700 convictions. That's the first thing you need to be doing. And I find it astonishing that when the minister became aware of this last uh, June, that she didn't turn around and say, listen, I don't need to know the numbers of people who've been wrongly convicted. As Minister for Justice, I'm aware people have been wrongly convicted. They need to be informed immediately. And she didn't do that. Does she she retain your confidence? Well, you know, the government, as I was thinking about it, the government uh, seemed to, in respect of this, it reminds me of a Second World War film where people are hiding under the floorboards of a house, remaining quiet in the hope that they won't be spotted by the German soldiers coming in. The government did that for, for over the weekend, since last Thursday. They've just remained silent on this issue. And it's not good enough. It's our job to hold them accountable for the issue. But I, I think it is really unsatisfactory that a Minister for Justice is told that uh, there are wrongful convictions in our court system. And she's prepared to let that sit there for nine months. Problems with the Garda Sheikhana nearly brought the government down a few weeks ago, Fiak. Is there any chance of, of, of this ending up like that? I don't think so. I think that Jim kind of definitely avoided Sarah's question there about whether he'd have confidence in uh, Francis Fitzgerald because if he, if he was he to can, say... He, if he, 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 he can try and answer it again. If he was to go down that road and if Fianna Fáil were to go down that road and 
table motion no confidence in her which I think they are allowed to do under the confidence supply agreement then that would be serious trouble for the government and I don't think we're heading in that direction yet the government was in, in, arguably, was in definitely more danger during the McCabe controversy than it is now I do think though that there is a there is there is a, a sort of um, erosion of trust between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, which has happened over the past number of months. I mean, one of the key elements of the confidence and supply arrangement is this no surprises. Uh, and as far as I'm aware, uh, Fianna Fáil have been caught, I suppose, on the hop on two issues, really, with regards to Morris McCabe and this. Uh, and this. And I think Always because of the guards. It's the gift that keeps on giving in terms of destabilising the government. Exactly, yeah. But it is, it is, it is effectively, I don't think you're going to see an election over an issue like this because there is a determination that there has to be answers and accountability within Angarda Siakona. But it does further complicate the relationship between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. And, uh, you know, it follows on the back of... Uh, a complete um, erosion of trust with regards to the Morris McCabe thing and now this erosion of trust once again with regards to the uh, fixed penalty notices. Jim? Yeah, it has, um, I suppose, damaged uh, the um, relationship between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael to a certain extent. Uh, you know, Sarah's right, there is a provision which says no surprises. You know, I think we should have been told and I think the public should have been told back in June last year that there were 14,700 wrongful convictions. That's a lot of people. We don't know. There mightn't be 14,700 people, but it's certainly up there near 10,000 people. And the government and the state isn't dealing with that issue as of yet. But, you know, the important thing is to try and resolve the issue, to try to ensure that we get answers for the public and people uh, are made accountable, whether in Angarda or whether within... Uh, the government were trying to do that an election isn't going to solve anything in respect of that so you know I don't think the question you always have to ask when the government is in trouble or controversy is in whose interest is it to have an election now and as long as the answer is nobody's or mostly it's not in Fianna Fáil's interest or it's not in Fianna Gael's interest then the government is safe and there has been no episode yet where it has arisen where it would be in the interest of either big party to have an election we might get there but we're not there yet that pragmatic cold calculation from Fia Kelly we'll leave it there thanks very much to Fia Sarah and to Jim for coming in today and that's it for this edition of Inside Politics. Remember that you can find us always on irishtimes.com slash podcast or you can subscribe via iTunes or our preferred podcast provider. And if you're already a subscriber, we would be very, very grateful if you'd take a moment to share or to recommend the podcast. Thanks to our producer, Jennifer Ryan and engineer JJ Vernon. And remember, you can always email me at hlinehan at irishtimes.com or you can find me on Twitter. But until the next time, goodbye and thanks very much indeed for listening.